Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Welcome to another episode of Fenway Rundown. I'm Sean McAdam with co-host Chris Cotillo, and we're thrilled this morning to be able to welcome Dan Schulman, the TV play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. You see him uh, on national games, college basketball, used to do a lot of work, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, both TV and radio, and definitely one of the best in the business. We're pleased to have him with us and welcome him to Boston for a big weekend series with the Blue Jays. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Sean and Chris. Thank you for that, Sean. I appreciate that. Uh, great to be with you guys, and I agree with you. It is a big weekend series. There's a lot on the line here this weekend. Yes, indeed. A good AL East showdown with only four series now between uh, teams in the division under this new, more balanced schedule. We don't get to see teams in the East quite as often as we used to. So far, the Red Sox have had their way with the Blue Jays this year. Quite a flip of the script from recent years when it was the other way around the Red Sox seven and zero against the Jays coming in. Uh, how do you look at this series, Dan, the Red Sox are the ones, <clears throat> excuse me, doing the chasing here, uh, but they've also had the blue Jays number so far this season. Yeah. Uh, only two games between them. And then you've got teams like the Yankees and the angels and the Mariners right on the heels of both of them right now. So I, I think it's huge. Um, you know, as you said, the blue Jays have not been able to beat the Red Sox even once this year. I think they went 16 and three against them last year. Um, but the blue Jays come in, not playing very well. And, you know, it's funny, you'd think 16 and 50 in the world's hardest division, that the vibes would be pretty good, but uh, it's not really that way. I, I mean, I, I think most people feel like the Blue Jays should be doing better. The offense has really stalled in recent days, and part of that credit goes to the Baltimore Orioles, I guess, who continue to show how good of a team they are. But to me, this is kind of a crucial time uh, for the Blue Jays um, because it could come down to these two teams for the last spot. Obviously, the Red Sox would win whatever tiebreaker exists. They've already clinched that. So I'm very curious to see how the Blue Jays come out this weekend um, and how well they play in the four game series against Baltimore. They only had 18 hits total in the four games, the one game they won, they won four to one, but they only had three hits in the game. 
Three of the runs scored on either bases loaded hit batters or a bases loaded error. They need to start hitting more or they're not going to be playing in October. We're coming off the trade deadline earlier this week, Dan, and the Blue Jays made a couple of important pickups. Jordan Hicks for the back end of the bullpen and Paul DeYoung to provide a little depth and insurance against the Beau Bichette injury. What was the reaction around the team on those two acquisitions? Was there any hope that there would be more brought in? What What's the takeaway from how the Blue Jays did at the deadline? The reaction was those two moves are good, but everybody expected one more move. So Jordan Hicks is a, a very, very good pickup, obviously. A power-throwing, high-leverage, late-inning reliever. Um, one other ish side issue for the Blue Jays is after having been healthy – for one of the healthiest teams in baseball for most of the season, uh, it's now going the other way. And Jordan Romano went on the IL. That happened before the deadline. So uh, it's expected he'll be back after the minimum 15 days, which wouldn't happen during this Red Sox series, but shortly thereafter. But if they have Jordan Romano and Jordan Hicks um, at the back end of the pen and Eric Swanson and Tim Meza and uh jimmy garcia we he's asked for us to call him jimmy i know everybody around baseball still calls him yimmy but he's jimmy in canada so but that that's a really good bullpen once and trevor richards is on the il as well but they're hoping that's a short stay so the jordan hicks uh, pickup was great paul de young was directly as a result of bobichette's injury bobichette was hurt on july 31st the trade deadline was august 1st Paul DeYoung was acquired the morning of August the 1st. So he'll play, uh, he'll get most of the reps at short until Bo comes back. And then maybe he slides over and plays some second base. They've got some versatility and flexibility with Wimmerfield playing second and left and playing very well. But everybody was hoping for one more bat, a right-handed bat. Um, they have not hit lefties well, in spite of the fact most of their team is comprised of right-handed batters. They haven't hit lefties well. And they get in these situations where they start a Dalton Varsho or they start a Kevin Kiermeyer, and then the other team brings a lefty in from the pen, and they don't have a great option off the bench. They've um, sometimes they've been DHing Alejandro Kirk at lefties. He hasn't had a great year. Sometimes they've been using Santiago Espinal as a pinch hitter because maybe he'll stay in the game. And that's great, but you'd love to have another right-handed bat to actually do the pinch hitting and then leave Espinal in the game at second base. Um, so everybody thought there would be one more right-handed bat. Um, as we speak on Friday morning, it is unconfirmed. It sounds like uh, a, by the name of David Schneider, no relation to the manager, John Schneider, is going to be at Fenway Park tonight. He is a second baseman, left fielder, third baseman. He's a hitter, is what he's eighth round pick who was putting up monster numbers at AAA this year, power, taking walks, big OPS, the whole thing. And it sounds like he's going to be at Fenway Park Friday night for the opening game of that series. And I would imagine he's in the lineup against James Paxton. Dan, you talked about what the Blue Jays did at the deadline. Being around the team, talking to people with the team, was there shock on that side as one of the other wild card contenders that the Red Sox, you know, basically did nothing? With all due respect to Luis Urias, who might be at Fenway tonight and, right. and the pitchers they got back in the Kike Hernandez deal. A very, very quiet deadline for Boston. I'm sure the other uh, wild card contenders were pretty happy about that. Yeah, and, and the Yankees too, right? The Yankees did yep. very little also. And it, it's the, the Blue Jay fan base, I think, tends to notice the Yankees 
first, no matter what's going on with the Yankees. They noticed the Yankees first. So um, uh, people definitely took notice of the fact that the Yankees didn't do anything. And we certainly talked on the air that day about how the Yankees and the Red Sox um, didn't do very much at all. The Rays and the Orioles made more significant moves. Um, three, four days ago, the Blue Jays kind of inch up on the the Orioles and Rays, but now it's more like, hey, you got to pay attention to the Red Sox and Yankees, like if you want to make the playoffs. So yeah, it was noted that the blockbuster moves were kind of made by Houston and Texas getting Verlander and Scherzer. And that as good as this division is, nobody went out and really, you know, blew the doors off the trade deadline. So um, uh, it, it was a point of discussion, uh, but I, I think it's all going to become extremely real for um, Blue Jay fans when this series begins tonight. I, I think, uh, you know, and you guys probably know this, like into this season, I don't know if, if the Red Sox had sky high expectations but here you are two-thirds of the way through the season and, and in a playoff race and i'm not i think blues have been paying attention uh, more attention to these in the division but we will make we will be very aware on this friday night that this red Sox probably the team they have to worry about more than any other right now but even without having made another move i mean the red Sox can always hit um i'll tell you something the blue hit is a direct result of the red all the left-handed batters that the Red Sox have. The Blue Jays picked up a second lefty in a deal about 10 days ago, uh, Genesis Cabrera. They made three separate trades with St. Louis in a 10-day spam. And Cabrera has been very good. And that is a direct result of Casas and Devers and uh, Yoshida, all the left-handed, Verdugo, all the left-handed bats that the Red Sox have. They wanted a second lefty. So they've been, they've been thinking about this series for a while. Dan, when you look at this division, obviously, you know, five teams that are at least five games over 500. I think Heim Bloom has called it the best division ever. Do you view it that way, that it's just, you know, there's there's no weak spots? I think all these teams are happy that this year is when the balanced schedule went into play and they have to see each other less. But in your mind, is this the best a division's ever been? I think certainly uh, the best of divisions ever since they went to the three divisions, five teams per division format. I mean, could we go back, you know, in time, um, you know, you're a little bit younger than Sean and I are, it looks like Chris. So, but uh, Sean and I remember the, the, the American league East to the eighties, the seven team American league East was a monster then too. It absolutely was. You were lucky, you know, maybe one year Cleveland wasn't good or one year Milwaukee wasn't good. But Toronto, New York, Boston, Detroit, Baltimore, like this was Ripken and Murray, Baltimore and, and Trammell and Whitaker, Detroit and and on and on and on. Those divisions were great, too. But since they've gone to the three division format, there's no like the question that the best division there has ever been. And, and I'll tell you from a Blue Jay perspective, and I, th I think I might be a day outdated on this, but I think this is right. The Blue Jays are eight and 23 in the American League East, eight and 23. They are 52 and 27 outside the division. They have the second worst record in baseball within their division. Only Oakland is worse. And they have, I believe, the best record in baseball outside of it, outside of their own division. So that'll tell you how blue, the Blue Jays are feeling about the American League East right now. Because right. And they've, they've done okay against Tampa Bay and New York. It's Boston and Baltimore. They're 0-7, as you guys mentioned, against the Red Sox. And they're two and eight against the Orioles. I mean, two and fifteen against two of your contending, your your rivals. You just, it's not sustainable. Like they will lose every tiebreaker there is to be lost if it comes down to that within the division, in all likelihood. So, um, you, you know, not only do they have to, uh, they they need to finish a game ahead of the Red Sox if, if it comes down to a playoff spot. So that's something to keep in mind too. Yeah, and Toronto's a, a great sports town. 
Um, the, the Blue Jays have drawn as many as 4 million fans back in their championship years in the early 90s. Seems like it took a long time for support to come back, uh, coming out of some labor issues and everything else. But seems like yeah. people are back on board in Toronto. What, what's the general feeling about this Blue Jay team? Is there optimism, skepticism? What Give us a sense of the pulse in Toronto right now. The first word I would use is passion, and I would expand on Toronto. I would say that we have a very unique situation in that we have a, a national team, right? I've, they're the only team in Canada. You guys will see it because it's a weekend series. I don't, there will be, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are three or 4,000 Blue Jay fans who have come down from various spots in Canada to, to Fenway Park. When the Blue Jays go to Seattle, which is always a weekend series in the summer, and that's not a coincidence. There are, and I'm not exaggerating, 25 to 30,000 Canadians there, many of them from Vancouver. When the Blue Jays go to uh, Minnesota, everybody from Winnipeg comes down. When the Blue Jays go to Detroit, go to Cleveland, you know, all the towns that are close to the border. This team has an unbelievable following from coast to coast. Um, we did this series against Baltimore, which was a midweek series and granted it's the summer and they're the, the division rivals. Uh, I think it was like 42, 31, 36, 42 were the four crowds. Um, and that's, that's kind of indicative of how people feel about this team. They love, love, love this team. That having been said, this is uh, another way it's looked at is the Vladdy Bo era, the Guerrero Bichette era. This is year five. They've got him for seven because it was, you know, you're a free agent after six, but their first year wasn't a full year. They have not won a playoff game yet in this Vladdy Bo era. They've been in the playoffs twice. They got swept twice. And now the focus is starting to shift, but to, well, it's not that young of a team anymore. And it's not a cheap team anymore. And it's only two more years until those guys are free agents. And, so there is passion, but they're also amongst the fans. I'll be honest with you. There's frustration because the feeling is they should have been better. They could have been better. They should win a few more games than they're winning. And a lot of that is very common, right? Around fan bases of every team. But I think it's it's a little stronger in the Blue Jay fan base than in most. People are starting to get a little bit stressed about when are they going to get over the hump here? Yeah, that makes for an easy segue to my next question, which is, what is the temperature on the Shapiro-Atkins regime, if you will? Uh, these guys have been in charge for a while now, a couple of playoff appearances, but not a lot uh, achieved once they got there. Um, is the yeah. clock ticking on this uh, particular uh, baseball operations department? I don't think it's there yet. And I do know, I don't remember the exact years. I think one is signed through 25, one is signed through 26, something like that. So I, I, I don't feel that way. So they've had some challenges that other teams didn't have. And in part of it goes back to being the only team not based in the United States. As you guys well know, during COVID, they didn't play at home for a year and a half. They played in Buffalo in 2020 and then 2021 played in Dunedin and then Buffalo and then came back to Toronto for the last two months. So the revenue they brought in those two years, uh, I mean, everybody's revenue took a hit, but their revenue took a greater hit playing in smaller ballparks, Salem Field in Buffalo to make it it's kind of major league-ish. Uh, and it's a great AAA park, but you just needed more facilities for a major league team than you, than you do for a AAA team. And the folks in Buffalo were unbelievable, but they had to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars and their revenue took a hit by millions and millions of dollars. So they had to do... 
they've done some great things off the field. Their facility down in Florida, down in Dunedin, um, has gone from probably the worst in baseball to maybe the best in baseball. Um, the uh, player development complex. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to be there, Sean, in spring training or anything like that, but it, it's fantastic. And now the Rogers Center is has gone through phase one and is about to go through phase two of this huge renovation as well. So on that side, on the business side, everything has been tremendously well done. Uh, it, it's, it, but the but the bottom line is it's winning games and winning games in the regular season and in the postseason. So the front office as a whole, I think, is kind of polarizing with the fan base because there have been some really good things, and there have been some really good things between the white lines too. Like they had Robbie Ray; he won a Cy Young for them. They clearly preferred to get Kevin Gosman in free agency. It looked like than re-signing Robbie Ray. That's turned into a great move. They've made some trades that have worked out really, really well. But there have been some signings and trades that have not worked out uh, as well either. You know, at the same time, uh, they're 60 and 50. Can you hang that on them? I mean, some people, again, let you need another right-handed bat. But, you know, you look at their rotation. They went out and spent a ton to get Gosman. They got Chris Bassett. They traded for Jose Barrios and immediately signed him to a seven-year extension like those are all really really good things this team has a really good starting rotation and a really deep bullpen and you got to give the front office credit for that um and and do you hang it on them that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not having nearly the year that is expected of him or that George Springer is having a down year that sort of thing but then there are trades like they traded uh, Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel for Dalton Varsho Varsho is a tremendous defensive player tremendous base runner but he's not hitting right now and they gave up a very popular guy and a very highly thought of prospect. So sorry for the long answer, but it, it goes both. Things have gone great. Some things have not. So I think the the fan base, it's they're kind of polarized when they look at this front office. Dan, more generally, kind of, you've called a lot of games with Fenway, a lot of big games and for, you know, Jays games and ESPN days as well. Um what makes Fenway unique from a broadcaster's point of view? And then also, what's your favorite memory of calling a game there? Uh, well, Fenway and Wrigley, you know, you could ask me the exact same question about Wrigley, and I'd give mm -hmm. you the exact same answer. And I'm sure a lot of people say that. I mean, when, when people ask me what my favorite ballparks are, I I have the other 28 in one group, and then I have Fenway and Wrigley in a separate group because they are so historic and so intimate, and there's such a buzz and energy um, in the ballpark. And it's cool um, you, you know, when I walk from the visitor's clubhouse down the stairs on that carpet and then up the stairs to get on the field and I say, hey, like Ted Williams did this or well, I'm on the visitor side, but you know what I mean? So, you know, the great visiting players for 100 years, more than 100. Years, that's cool. I, I love the history. Um, and, it, you know, some ballparks are ballparks and some are stadiums. Fenway Park's a ballpark. Like there's no, there's no debating that ever. And, and, and even with the additions, you know, the extra seats they put up in the right field corner some years ago and what they've done up above the monster to me, they haven't lost any of the intimacy of Fenway Park. So um, I, I love that. I guess my favorite memories, like as a Blue Jay broadcaster, there are more bad memories than good memories at Fenway Park. I remember the Blue Jays getting walked off a lot, um, but I did the world series for, uh, ESPN from 2011 through last year. So I would have been there in 2013 when the Red Sox won the World Series. And I've just done, even if it wasn't a World Series, ESPN radio was such a wonderful thing for me for 28 years. And I got a chance to do so many games in October. And so many of them um, were at Fenway Park. One funny thing, I remember 2013, 
2019, I had broken my foot in the in the in July and it took it was a it was a bad one. So even in October, I was not really mobile. I think I'd gotten rid of my crunches, my crutches at the time, but I had a walking boot and a cane still in October, I think, when I was doing the doing the playoffs. So I remember we took a, a rickshaw back to the hotel after the Red Sox won the World Series. Like it's chaos on the street. The Red Sox have won the World Series and I'm immobile. And and another person on our radio crew and I are desperately trying to flag down a rickshaw so I could get back to the hotel in one piece. But I, I just love the energy. I love the energy outside the ballpark. Um, and I love the energy inside the ballpark. And I do love ballparks that aren't cookie cutter ballparks. And obviously Fenway is not that, whether it's the pesky pole or the triangle or the monster or whatever it is. I, I, I love it. I really, really like coming to Fenway Park. When we were on the West Coast this week, Sean said, you know, getting Dan Schulman for the pod. And he said, Chris, you cannot make this a college basketball discussion as much as I really, really want to <laughs> as a uh, Tar Heel. Um, but I said, I'm going to at least sneak one self-serving question in there. So better rivalry game to call on this. I mean, I'm even though I cover the Red Sox biased on this because you saying this is a sonic blockbuster is one of the things that fires me up the most in life. Um, <laughs> Duke, Carolina or Red Sox, Yankees, a better rivalry game to call. So I will tell I will say to you it's Duke Carolina because that happens twice maybe three times a year. Uh, Yankees Red Sox used to happen nineteen now happens thirteen times a year. So I guess I'm a little biased toward college basketball uh, in that if you're only playing thirty some games as opposed to one hundred and sixty two, those games always feel like they matter um, a, a little bit more. You, you know, if the Red Sox are playing the Yankees in July and one team's doing well and one team's kind of out of it it doesn't feel the same. If Duke's playing Carolina in February and one team's not doing great, it still feels like that game matters 99% as much as it would if they were both, uh, if they were both good. So I think I'll pick college basketball and I'm totally fine with bringing that up. And, and I totally admit like one of my favorite things, and it happened the other day is if the blue Jays get a player and he happened to go to a school that I happened to cover, like they might be college basketball fans. And I never assume anybody knows anything about me or who I am. I just go up and I introduce myself. So you mentioned Paul DeYoung, Sean, the Blue Jays get him a couple of days ago. So I go up to him and I said, Paul, hey, I wanted to introduce myself. I'm Dan Schulman. I, I call the games on TV for the Blue Jays. And the first words out of his mouth are, I've been watching you my whole life. And I started laughing. And I said, well, first of all, you made me feel old, but thanks. I said, baseball or basketball? And he goes, basketball. And I said, why? He said, I'm a Michigan State fan. So like Chad Green went to Louisville and Ernie Clement went to Virginia and George Springer went to Connecticut. And I'm totally good with using that, you know, to get an introduction going and to, uh, and, and to get friendly with the ballplayers. So I, 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 as lucky as I've been calling baseball is as lucky I've, as I've been calling basketball. I'm just a guy from Canada who kind of stumbled into this without knowing where he was going. And I've been having the time of my life for almost 30 years now. Dan, you referenced uh, all the years you spent with ESPN, both on the TV and radio side, doing a lot of national broadcasts and postseason broadcasts. Uh, speaking for myself, I can tell you how much I miss hearing you in that venue. I think you are uh, one of the best baseball play-by-play -play guys in the business. And you know that I have texted you on occasion, listening to some postseason games, and uh, I miss that. But I'm wondering what uh, what's the difference now returning to the local broadcast job with the Blue Jays? You had been doing them on a limited basis while you had a more national-based job. Now it's right. all Blue Jays all the time. What's the difference between the two jobs? 
It, it, they are very different. It's a great question. So, you know, for Sunday night baseball, we could go in and do, I won't use the Red Sox as an example, because I would see them a lot no matter what. But we could go in and do, you know, a Brewers-Cubs game in a year where both of those teams were pretty good. And then I might not see those teams again for three months. So, you know, I get home from the previous Sunday game on Monday and I spend like six days. Monday might be a, a an off day, but five days starting Tuesday getting ready for the Brewers and Cubs. And then I might not see them again. And you go into that game just like I go into a Duke Carolina game or a Kentucky Florida game 50-50 as balanced as you can when i do a blue jay red sox game i understand that 90 something percent uh 98 percent of my audience are blue jay fans so it's not that 98 percent of my content is blue jay related but you know let's be honest it's not 50 50 i think dave o'brien would tell you know dave o'brien's a very good comparison right dave o'brien and i have had very similar careers in what we've done and i think obi would tell you the same thing he knows more about the Red Sox than the Blue Jays. I know more about the Blue Jays than the Red Sox. So you tailor your broadcast a little bit differently according to your fan base. The other thing is you develop relationships when you're the local broadcaster. So, you know, like I said, whether it's Dalton Varsho or George Springer or, or Paul DeYoung now or whomever it is, if I've got a question, I can just go find him and say, George, you got a sec? Matt Chapman, you got a sec? And I can get from a coach or a player whatever I need. I can dig a little bit deeper and I might get a story. I don't use that, right? but I'll get it in because I'm doing every game. Two weeks later, that a play, a similar play might happen, and I'll remember this then, and I'll get that on the air. So very, very different. Uh, I mean, as you know, Sean, I'm from Toronto too. So I, you know, I grew up. I'm born there. Grew up there. I was at their first game, April seventh, seventy seven. And to be honest with you, I'm enjoying um, that attachment to my childhood team, um, you know, over New England, Jason Benetti, and I have talked about this. He's from Chicago. These are wonderful jobs. And they're even more wonderful if you happen to be lucky enough to call the team from the town you're from. And, and, and I'm in that situation. Uh, my friends and family are all Blue Jays fans. And um, uh, it's been nice. They're both wonderful in, in different ways. And, uh, but I, I'm, you know, I guess at this point in my career, I don't know if I'm rounding third and heading home, but I'm certainly getting close to third base. Like I'm, I'm, I'm past second. That that much I know, and this this really fits where I want to be right now. This this feels like the job that I, I will take into retirement, hopefully. Well, our loss is Toronto's gain, uh, and we wish you the best of luck. Uh, should be a fascinating weekend with the Blue Jays and Red Sox at Fenway. Dan, we thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the ballpark soon. And this has been another episode of Fenway Rundown. Join us again next Tuesday. Dan, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Guys, enjoy it. See you at the ballpark. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.